Welcome to the Nightbird Radio Podcast. I'm Timothy Saylor, and I'm going to be your host this evening as we sound out the subconscious, navigate the nocturnal, and explore the farthest reaches of our experience. Coming at you from the back of an 86 Dodge Ram van on the rolling foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in the Great Forest, deep in the heart of the Kali Yuga. This is Radio for the Hauntological Turn. This episode of the Nightbird Radio Podcast is brought to you by Anonymous. Who comes in with a $25 donation and asks that I give the spirits an opportunity to speak through a little bibliomancy. The book was dealer's choice, and so I've chosen The Red Book, Liber Novus, by Carl Jung. Now let's see what the spirits have to say. The primordial force is the radiance of the sun, which the sons of the sun have carried in themselves for aeons and pass on to their children. And that was page 324 of the reader's edition for anyone who wants to follow up on that. Well, I'm recording this on a Sunday, so it only makes sense. If you'd like to support the show and hear your name or a cryptic message in lieu of your name read at the top of the next episode, head to nightbirdpodcast.com and navigate to the Support the Show page. Thank you so much for your generous support. It's what keeps the Archons out of this show. And remember to subscribe to this show wherever you listen to your podcasts, and give me a five-star rating. That helps a lot. I'm also on Instagram at Nightbird Podcast, on YouTube at Nightbird Podcast, and on Telegram at t.me slash nightbirdradio. And welcome back, Nightbirds. It's great to have you back, and it's great to be back. This week, I was joined by Tanya Vernaza. Tanya is a magical practitioner, a writer, a channel, an artisan, a Reiki master, a diviner, and a seeker. She shared her story with me, and along the way, we talked about all manner of topics, from space weirdness to ancient civilizations to the wild hunt, from Nephilim to navigating life's unexpected obstacles with the help of the spirits. She had some great stories for me, so I won't keep you too long here in the introduction. Let's get to the conversation. Tanya Vernaza, welcome to the Nightbird Radio Podcast. How are you doing today? I am wonderful. How are you? I'm glad to hear it. I'm doing well, too. Um, happy, happy Lunar New Year. Oh, yes. Happy Year of the Cat, I think. I think it's or rabbit. rabbit. It depends. Oh, is it depend? I, I think that the Vietnamese community calls it the year of the cat and that everybody else thinks of it as the year of the rabbit. Oh, cool. So is, is does cat replace rabbit in their whole thing? Because I could see those kind of being similar, actually. Like The tiny bit of um, Chinese astrology that I've looked at um, beyond, you know, the placemat at Mongolian barbecue. Right. <laughs> uh, they will put they'll put cat in parentheses. So okay, cool. Um, I have to look into it more. I'm glad we started out with something we don't know anything about. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it, you know it's kind of funny. Like, um, I I have a good friend. I, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but um, he's ethnic Chinese from Indonesia, and 
somehow we got really on this whole trip about Chinese astrology together. And so um, he basically just bought all these books and was kind of like, here, you, you read and you tell me. Oh, nice. And I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah, um, so, uh, yeah, I can't, you know, I can't even remember her name. I still have the books, but um, it's been a while since I've picked them up. But yeah, they'll call to you at some point, right? Yeah, it's, how um, it goes. I mean, from there, there's a little bit of, it's kind of interesting because um, I'm, you know, I'm a student of, uh, Western astrology. I'm, I, I'm a little bit better than beginner, but I'm certainly not prepared for, you know, professional consultations. And I sure. don't know much about electional yet or anything like that. So, um, you know, looking at a, at a Western style horoscope being this kind of snapshot at the, you know, the minute and the second, if you can get it of your birth and your location. Um, it seems like Chinese astrology is a lot more generational um, because okay, you can get kind sense. of a little more granular um, depending upon the day you were born and the hour you were born. But you know, to me, it's kind of like, it, it, there's some things that definitely that I can vibe with, but your quote unquote horoscope for the year is going to be the same as everybody else born in the year that you were born in between, you know, February of that year and February of the following year. Right, right. And so in that way, it's a lot like outer planets, you know, like Pluto or Neptune. It's like it's not really saying anything uh specific about you. It's saying something specific about the a whole group of people. Right, right, right. That were all born in that time period. And even sometimes people that were like Yeah. I won't even go into it more because I, I mean, that's my, I mean, that's just kind of like what I've observed from my little tiny bit of looking at it. But yeah. I've only looked at it a very small bit too. And I really only like, I kind of just have an operating knowledge of Western astrology where like, I know what I need to, it becomes more and more as I progress, but like, I know what I need to know to do the other things I do, you know, like mm-hmm. for, timing and stuff like that um but i i do enjoy it quite a bit it was one of those things that like was one of the first bricks to fall off my wall of like this is bullshit you know oh, okay. I, was ve- I was very much like just uh nothing i was like i had had a pendulum swing at some point in my life where i went to the side of like the, none of this shit's real right okay and um, when I started looking at astrology, like, oh, you know, I'll check it out. You know, maybe there's something to this. And was like, oh, my God, like my chart is like exactly tell told my life story. Like down to really minute details, right? Yeah. And I was like, well, 
this is unavoidably real. And then that was like the first, and then like the whole wall came down. Right. Right. Then I'm like all in, like I'm doing crystals and shit. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) (laughs) the, um, well, I had an, I had an aunt who was an astrologer and, um, but she was kind of, she wasn't like a professional astrologer, but, um, she was definitely more into, um, uh, like numbers books and things like that. So, you know, between like, you know, she'd, she'd probably pick up like, you know, Sydney Omar's like their year, his yearbook or whatever for, she was a Capricorn. So, um, and then she'd also have, um, there's, um, there's a lot of like, I I haven't seen them in a really long time. And honestly, I don't even know where she was picking them up, but at least back in like, they were a lot more popular decades ago, but they were just kind of like numerology books. And, and I'm not exactly even sure how they worked, but it was for gambling. Oh, cool. So, yeah. And, that's what's up. And so like, yeah, she was always betting on the ponies and all kinds of stuff. So I mean, I guess it was, I, I'm not sure how it worked necessarily. And she jealously guarded them, but uh, you know, it was for, I guess it was to like how to pick, I don't know. It was everything from how to pick bingo cards to lottery numbers or whatever. And so I like that really practical stuff. I think yeah. Cool. I mean, it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. Like who doesn't want to win the lottery? Um, Nightbirds. I hope you've been enjoying the conversation so far and there's more to come, but first I have to ask that you support the show. As I'm sure you've noticed, there are no commercials on this show. There are no paywalls. You get everything up front. For there to be free dialogue, I think it must remain uncaged by the interests of advertisers. But Nightbird Radio does cost time and money to make, and your support means I can spend less time delivering pizza and more time doing this. That's a win-win. So that's why Nightbird Radio is a value-for-value podcast. I hope you've found value in this show, but I can't and won't dictate how much. Only you can decide that. But what I can do is invite you to take that value, turn it into a number, and head to nightbirdpodcast.com, navigate to the support the show page, and donate. We're also listed on podcastindex.org, which means you're able to send Bitcoin via the Lightning Network using your favorite podcasting 2.0 apps, which can be found at newpodcastapps.com. I also accept services and dry goods in trade. There are many forms in which value is stored, after all. Email me at tim at nightbirdpodcast.com for more information. Sponsors will get a special mention at the top of the show. Thank you for your generous support. Want to hang out with other nightbirds and soapheads? For only $5 a month, you can gain access to the Polytechnic of the Numenauts, a private Discord server for artists, animists, and searchers that brings together the Nightbird Radio and Soapbox podcast communities. Just click the link I've provided in the show notes to get started. Now let's get back to the conversation.
Okay, cool. So that brings me to a question that I want to ask, and that sort of leads into that, right? So, like, just if you want to give me a little bit of the backstory of, like, um, have you always had sort of a magical world? Um, have you always kind of lived in that world, or was there uh, a moment or a progression? Uh, what was that like for you in your life? Um, yeah, actually, um, I've, I've kind of always lived here and there's been a couple of times when, um, I had some experiences and, you know, usually it comes down to, um, experiences with other people that made me kind of go, you know, this ain't for me. And I tried to kind of escape it (laughs) or run away from it. And, um, and that was a good experience on its own, but, um, no, I mean, I think, I think that I've always, um, known magic is real. Spirits are real. Um, and, So my, um, my family is very, um, I guess you could say that their philosophy is, um, religion or spiritual experiences are a personal endeavor. And so I was never raised as anything and it was always very, you know, that was supportive, you know, whatever, whatever you're into, that's fine. Um, and so, uh, I explored a lot of things and I, and I had, um, you know, I was blessed with a, with diverse friends. And so I, you know, would just as easily, you know, go to, synagogue with a Jewish friend as I would go to, um, go to catechism with my friends down the street or, um, but my, um, my, uh, babysitter, nanny, whatever you want to call her, um, she was the daughter of my of one of my one of two of my mother's best friends. And um she was a feminist Wiccan. And so um and we would go and spend, you know, days and, and weeks at a time staying with her, um, me and my little brother. And so we played a lot of games that were just imagination. Um, You know, you can do a lot of things with Greek mythology and a garden hose. Um, And, uh, you know, we, we had fun. Uh, Somehow she got a hold of a uh, U.S. game systems used to sell um, blank cards you know, in a box just looks exactly like what you would get if you bought a deck of tarot cards. 
um, but they were blank. And so they had the nice little um, plaid pattern on the back of the cards, kind of like my first um, Rider weight deck does. And um, so, yeah, we would, instead of coloring and coloring books, we would, hey, I'm going to draw my own death card. <laughs> um, awesome. I love that. And uh, I... Um, and and so yeah, I mean, like there was there were you know books on the shelf that I didn't necessarily read at the time, but you know she had a she had a copy of uh, the Golden Dawn, uh, the big brick by Israel Regardi on the shelf, and she had some Crowley stuff on the shelf, and she had some of the Frost stuff on the shelf, and I think that the first book that I ever borrowed from her, um. I was probably around 11 years old. And um, the first book that I ever actually borrowed from her and read cover to cover was uh, Z Budapest's um, The Women's Mysteries, Volume 1. And then I sped through that and got Volume 2 from her. And then I think the third book was Star... Starhawk spiral dance and that actually had more practical things in it so um yeah i just started kind of messing around with that stuff and i don't even think i was in junior high yet um cool but um any early on experiences with that stuff that you'd want to share like uh when things things that really worked or even if they didn't go so well that you can think of well, um, yeah, when I was, I mean, well, when I was really, really little, it's kind of, um, it's, hmm, I have different thoughts about it and I have different, you know, I've kind of tried on, like, I don't know the answer and I've never bothered to really ask, um, so I've tried out different stories to explain what initially happened. And so I'm not sure if, so my father, before he met my mom was in the air force and he spent a lot of time in North Africa. He also spent a lot of time in Europe and, um, and as far East as India well, Nepal. And, um, so somehow it's almost like he, like somehow spirits from that part of the world, all these places that he lived in and had stayed in for periods of time, all kind of hitchhiked back to the U S with him and when I was born, they were kind of like, hey, she can see us and she can hear us. Let's use this one as um, our little speakerphone. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. And um, so, um, you know, and it's kind of funny, too. I, I had recently realized 
or I had recently been told a story. I recently, I would say in the past year or two, my mother told me that when I was about a year old, um, I had a, I spiked a really bad fever, like a hundred and something degrees. And like, that's definitely bad for babies. You don't want to cook their little heads. Yeah. So, um, they rushed me to the emergency room and a base, basically they were afraid that, you know, I was going to basically cook. So they stuck me in a vat of ice water. Um, and so I kind of thought like, Oh, that's kind of weird. Like that's almost like, you know, it sounds almost like, like a shamanic sickness. Um, but I didn't really think much of it, but when I was probably about three or four, um, I would like, and these are all stories that I've been told from various people who'd seen it in action. Like, I don't personally have any memory of it, but like we, you know, we'd be having a barbecue or everybody be in the backyard or whatever. And um, all of the sudden, like I would stop and like my eyes would roll into the back of my head. And like they said, it got really eerie because everything would get really quiet. The birds would stop chirping and the wind would come up. And then all of a sudden, this voice that didn't really sound like little four-year-old me would come up and just be like, I am the goddess Isis. And I would prophecy all this weird stuff. And then I'm back and, you know, hey, I'm going to go get in the kiddie pool. And what's up, everybody? I want a hot dog. That's Um, cool. (laughs) So, yeah, that kind of. I mean, that kind of stuff happened all the time. And it was like, I didn't have any control over it. And I really, um, as I got older and I could, you know, remember that, like, I don't know, like, why do I have these blank spots? Cause I would just kind of go to this black void for one of a better word. And, um, Yeah. And it was kind of like, why is this happening? Like, I, I, I want to be back in my body, please. Like what's happening. And so I didn't really have any control over it. So really, um, magic was a, a survival skill. It was like, I think I need to learn how to get my arms around this a little better so that I can have some control over it. But Mm. It, you know, and then my family is just weird enough that they just took it in stride. They didn't care. They were like, okay. That's and great. they never treated it like it was weird or bad. They never tried to, you know, I don't know. They were very, everybody was very relaxed about it. That's really cool to hear. Cause I hear a lot of like, I've talked to people that have similar experiences and, at least not maybe to that extent of the channeling, but like uh, in terms of voices, right? Or like they hear mm-hmm. things or they have, they can sense things. And a lot of the time, and sadly, it seems like in our society that those things are so frowned upon that people like pretty much immediately go to like substances of some kind to like drown them out or to like to control it. And um, which 
you know, mixed results on that. <laughs> like, yeah. To push something down is just in my experience doesn't ever like really turn out great for me. <laughs> sure. And it's, and it's kind of, I mean, that makes me really sad that, um, that people can have, you know, these abilities and they're completely normal. Uh, and I mean, like, I couldn't tell you why, um, you know, Asset decided to land on, on me and it's like, okay. Um, but you know, that's, I mean, that's what happened. And I, and I'm, and I'm very grateful that I have a family that didn't make me feel weird about that or bad about it or anything like that. I mean, I think, I think I had enough, um, foresight to, to just know not to mention anything at school or, you know, that there were certain people that, you know, it was safe to talk about that, but those kinds of experiences or those kinds of things with, but, um, you know, and I don't know how I knew that it wasn't like anybody sat me down and explicitly said like, we don't talk about your invisible friends. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That sounds like like the the invisible friends also looking out for you. Right. Like, (laughs) like I can't say for sure, but that's like also like let's not get Tanya black bagged, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, because I mean, like, oh gosh, I don't even remember how old I was when I saw Firestarter, and I was like, yes, oh, right. <laughs> no, I'm gonna, you know, not tell people about this. Um, they uh, and that was the thing too. Is like until age seven, uh, we lived on a small like homestead farm. And, uh, well, small, it was 11 acres, um, but we had cattle and goats and chickens and all that. Um, and like, I didn't have just one invisible friend. I had an entourage. And so that was the thing too, about living in such a rural context that like, I had nobody my age. Um, and I was born at a weird time too, because all of my cousins were probably around eight to 12 years older than I was. And then everybody in the, in the next generation hadn't been born yet. So I spent a lot of time alone. I spent a lot of time with animals. I I mean, I had a horse, I had a pony and um, dogs and um i probably took care of about 35 to 40 feral cats because people used to you know of course dump their animals out in the country um and so yeah i spent a lot of time hanging out in a in a, a favorite fig tree and talking with you know five or six invisible friends i had and um you know, thinking back on it, I'm not sure if they were land spirits or if they were fae or something else. I, I'm not really sure. Um, yeah, I think we could, and that's something we could possibly get into is like where that intersection is because there's a really cool kind of crossroads between all that stuff, right? Like ancestors, oh yeah. ancestors, angels, fae, land spirits. Like, I love that. 
space. Like there's well, a and they, Venn diagram going they, on. The thing is, though, is that they're they're tricky. They got me in trouble a couple of times. Oh yeah. Um. Oh yeah. One time. Care to share? Yeah. Oh sure. So when I was really little, I had um just platinum blonde hair, and um and because nobody can see me right now, it's actually quite dark brown. Um, and so, you know, down to the, you know, probably down to my middle, my back, you know, my mom used to spend a lot of time curling my hair and, you know, I was, I was very girly, but I also climbed trees and rode horses and did all this stuff. Um, and, uh, so there was a pair of scissors by the phone in the dining room. And uh, so my mom had like kind of like this little thing set up, you know, there was like the phone and there was like notepads and, you know, a, a stein. It was like an old beer stein that my dad had brought back from Germany. And, you know, it had pens and pencils and stuff like that. So there was this pair of very sharp scissors in there. And my mom had been absolutely adamant that, you know, you do not touch these scissors. Okay, mom. So invisible friends uh, convince me that it's a good idea to um, let's cut my hair. <laughs> I knew so this was going I grab the, the scissors that I'm not supposed to touch. And um, I don't know what, where my mom was. Um, she must have been out water, you know, weeding or watering the the garden, or I don't know what. But I was in the house by myself, and so I pull out my little stool so I can, you know, see myself in the mirror. And they're just telling me what to do, and I'm here hacking off my beautiful long hair. And um, oh, my mom was furious when she came in and saw that. Oh my gosh, I was in so much trouble. I bet. I got a spanking and I had to go into, you know, I had to go to bed. Right. And um, I don't know. I heard this quiet, angry conversation on the phone. I'm, I'm guessing she was on the phone with my dad. And so um, I got the dreaded bowl cut to try and fix it. Mm. But Which yeah, they got me in big trouble. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other time they convinced me to eat a whole, co- like, so we had, like, my parents had, like, the big, I don't know if you've seen them, the, the big, like, tin um, Folgers coffee cans. Yeah. yeah. So we used to save them for all kinds of stuff. So, oh yeah, they're great for that. One in there. And then we had one that we used to go out when we used to go pick strawberries. We had a huge, um, we had a huge plot of just strawberries. And so my mom and I went out there one day to go pick strawberries. So we had that can was probably almost full and, oh yeah. Invisible friends talked me into eating almost all of those. And, um, and uh yeah i got hives <laughs> oh wow <laughs> for eating too many strawberries but other than that they you know they i i never came to any real harm <laughs> yeah um 
that's interesting, Chris. For one thing, I feel like that. Okay, I don't know the answer to this, and you know this question is. It'll be fun, but do you think that that's happening, like? much more commonly and that most people maybe just can't hear it or experience it or don't experience it the same way. So like, I feel like those are sound like common kid things. And I wonder how common it is for it to be spirits, but we just think of spirit. We just think, Oh, I just had these ideas. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's more common to experience them as ideas Whereas you were able to kind of glimpse more into what was actually happening. What do you think about that? I I like it. I like the idea that, you know, and I mean, I kind of, you know, I mean, I don't have children of my own, so I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but it does make me wonder if, if, you know, especially young children are doing something that's kind of like out of character and kind of naughty, especially, sorry, that's my dog. (laughs) Uh, If they're doing something that's kind of out of character, like I, I kind of almost wonder like, Hmm, is there some, some spirit contact going on there that, that somebody who is just kind of tricksy, like, you know, and it's, it makes me also think about, uh, I think Gordon White says something, I can't remember where I heard him say it, but he was talking about how, you know, how excited, like, humans get when they can talk a spirit into doing something, you know, whether that's, you know, appear in smoke or, you know, do something that, um, he says like spirits are just as excited to get humans to do stuff. And so I kind of wonder, it's like, are kids more open to that? I definitely think so. And so, you know, it, it, it could be that, you know, especially if, if, if a child does something that seems to be out of character, <laughs> if they've got an invisible friend telling them to do something that's. Or like, here's a, here's a mild example. Okay. But I think it's, it's interesting. Um, my nephew comes over all the time and he's about like two in a couple months. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's this frog by the front door. That's like kind of on this pedestal. It's just like a decorative frog. But he mm-hmm. loves this frog. Mm-hmm. And he started laying like offerings of like rocks and well, you know, I call it offerings, but he starts laying rocks and like acorns and stuff at this frog's feet. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, that is you know what I'm saying? Like there's something yeah. more to that to me because I can see it as the um as a very symbolic act. And then, you know, maybe I'm just reading offerings into it and that's just a place. But you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, that's what I would call kind of ritual behavior. I mean, like even as a kid, like even long before I ever, you know, heard 
you know, in like, I don't know, in a magic book context, like building an altar, I was building altar like things at a very early age. Um, You know, and I mean, it it could be in it, you know, of course, it's going to look different for little kids. I mean, what are you what are you going to put on, you know, an altar, you know, yeah, you know, little flowers that you picked or rocks that you find, but you know, oh, that's mostly what I still put on the altar. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say my altar is a lot like that kid altar. <laughs> Just like here's a yeah. cool rock I found. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, here's this little weird tchotchke that you know somebody gave me, or like here's something that I um like here's something I got from my dentist, you know, my dentist's office. Like they, you know, at the end of your I don't know, at the end of your appointment, you know, they had like a little treasure box and you could pick out a little toy or something like that. So, you know, maybe that little toy or tchotchke or whatever ends up on a shelf with, oh, you know, here's a cool silver dollar I have or, you know, all kinds of stuff. And the reason I asked that question, too, is um, because I have. A different experience than you see my experience is not knowing that i had an entourage but then slowly coming to realize that i always have and i just couldn't see it and now i'm learning to communicate and see it and you know so it's like i just wonder i think that um I just think it's one of those things that we've obviously been conditioned uh, to say, oh, that's just kid stuff, you know, like, oh, that's just your yeah. friend or whatever, you know, but. Um, well, one thing I've come to learn is that it's constantly unfolding. Yeah. There are, there are experiences and relationships with spirit that I've had that, you know, 10 years ago, I thought, you know, I had a pretty good idea what that was about. And then more stuff happens and somebody says something or I read something or I see a movie and just go, what? Like maybe this has been going on a lot longer than I've been conscious of, or, you know, there's some, um, you know, layers of, of meaning and of agendas and, and who knows yeah. um it um but yet i've found that i'm not sure that i will ever have like all the answers um that it's there's more and more you know things that just unfold over time especially as you keep going yeah um, i found that too even in my short um Cause you know, I've only been really doing this for four years or so. Sure. So it's like a whole new thing, but even, even in those four years, I can see what you're describing happening. I can only excited to see what comes next. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And I, same here. I'm just like, wow, really? This is kind of cool. So, um, like, like Catholicism is something that I had always been and you know, and it's kind of funny because everybody I know who, well, not everybody, but most people I know who were raised Catholic 
like really, they don't want much to do with it anymore. And, you know, I mean, like there's all these different things we can get into. Um, You know, there's the whole priest sex scandal with kids and, and, you know, which is horrifying. And, you know, then there's all these different layers of, you know, they were forced to go, you know, by their mom, you know, or whatever. And so they're just not that into it anymore. The only time you'll catch them in church is weddings and funerals. Um, You know, there's still some people who are, who are still devoted, but I find that that's pretty rare. And because I wasn't raised in any particular faith, um, I mean, like, I'll just, just to give you like a really brief, (laughs) so like my paternal grandparents were Masons, um, and, um, my mom got into Scientology through my uncle, um, her brother. And, um, so I have cousins that were, you know, I think that still, still subscribe to the beliefs, but they are not a part of the church any longer. Um, but they were hardcore. They were Sea Org. Um, oh, wow. That's and, interesting. Um, oh, yeah. And and then um, I spent, um, so my mom pulled me out of, after she and my dad divorced, she pulled me out of public school. And um, my little brother wasn't yet old enough for first grade or kindergarten. So he went to like daycare during the day when she returned to work. Um, I was put into a Scientology school. So I spent the last half of second grade, third, fourth, and fifth grades in a Scientology school. Um, and I was kind of the weird kid. And this is when Invisible Friends really helped. Um, because I didn't know what I... I thought about Scientology, but I never thought that it was for me. <laughs> right. So it was kind of strange being in school with other kids who, you know, had been raised as Scientologists and who thoroughly subscribed to the ideas. And so where where we lived, I, my best, my best friends, in fact, I was perfectly in between them. They were, um, they were two, their sisters, two years apart. And I was like right in the middle. So like the eldest daughter was just one year older than me. And the youngest daughter was one year younger than me. And, um, they did not go to Catholic school. So they went to catechism on Sundays So if I spent the night on a Saturday night, I tagged along with them to go to church. And um, the the first, um, so when we go into catechism, you know, she, the the instructor, the the lady who taught the classes, um, she had prayer cards as like a reward for answering questions correctly. So the first saint card I ever got was St. Clair, who's the patron saint of psychics and remote viewers. And I happened to live in her county. 
Oh yeah, cool. I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And so a relationship unfolded there or probably has already been brewing, right? That's yeah, that's one that's been coming, you know, that's been years in the in the making. But you know, it it always felt like, you know, I felt this pang of envy when for instance like they had their first communion and you know they got the little white dresses and the veils they look like little brides and you know everybody you know threw them a party and um you know they got all these kind of cool trinkets you know rosaries and little small little Bibles and prayer cards and necklaces and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, how come I can't do this? How come I don't yeah. get the party? Um, so I kind of, I had long felt that, um, that Catholicism was kind of unfinished business for me. And, but, you know, I kind of shelved it. And um, then when I was in my, uh, when I was in my twenties, I moved to San Francisco and, um, I met my first husband in art school and, uh, he's a Filipino man. So he was born and raised Catholic, went through the whole, um, the whole traditional, you know, baptized as an infant and you know the whole 90 yards and um he um and so like i i was just curious and so as our relationship had developed i um just was you know as we got closer to you know getting engaged and getting married then it was like oh well you know i want to convert because when i um when i left my hometown i was really disillusioned with what i will call paganism or neo paganism um one of the best covens that I had ever belonged to um, it was with my best friend and a couple other friends. And um, I was basically the token bi girl in a coven of gay men. And it was the most fun. It was just, it was amazing. Um, and we, we, pro we were probably best described as Georgian Wiccans at the time. And um, at least that's the lineage of our high priest. And um, we had become so close. And so um, it was just the most smooth running every ritual. Like we barely even spoke because we could just you know, read each other's minds so well that like, it was just this really oiled 
really well-oiled machine. And so when other people would come and visit and maybe do ritual with us, um, they jokingly called us the, the pearls and lace coven because we usually met at, um, at our, well, he jokingly, we, we jokingly referred to him as our high priestess. Um, but his home was beautiful. It was a fully um, refurbished, restored Victorian. And he had the front parlor um, arranged to be his uh, ritual space and sort of his equivalent of a, of a spirit room, I guess. And it was gorgeous. It was, um, he even, what was really interesting about this uh, Victorian is that he had a little bit of Japanese um, like aesthetic to it. So that room was, had tatami mats lined in it. You know, it was lined in tatami mats. And so, you know, everything was just perfect and pretty and simple. And so everybody was just, um, you know, kind of like, oh, I'm going to go to the pearls and lakes. <laughs> coven for for you know full moon ritual or whatever um you know just because i don't know we seem to we seem to work together and run you know much more smoothly than i would say a hundred percent of the other groups that i've either been a part of or have observed um or you know been in community in some way with and um so after that fell apart um and i was leaving for san francisco you know i was pretty disillusioned with a lot of with a lot of groups a lot of um a lot of things had gone down between myself and my babysitter like we had been together for two decades and um there was a, just a lot of stuff that happened and and we completely fell apart um and at that point i was just kind of like this is not what i want for myself this the you know the the lifestyles that i was seeing the you know just even the happiness quotient like nobody seemed really happy nobody seemed really satisfied um, and their lives were really messy in a lot of ways. And so when I went to San Francisco, I was definitely open to meeting other, I guess, Wiccans or pagans or whatever. And I just wasn't meeting anybody. I, I you know, it just seemed so dead. And, um, so at that point, Catholicism seemed really, really um, just attractive and warm. It felt warm, like, wow, I am actually welcome here. And people are actually, you know, happy to see me. And um, they seem to want nice things for me and good things for me. And so this is kind of, this is kind of neat. And so it was pretty easy to like fall back into um, you know, going to church 
every Sunday. So I, um, I signed up for what's called the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults, and it's about a year long. Um, you go through the whole liturgical year um, with a small group of adults, and you basically learn the catechism. And at the end of it, on Easter Vigil, um, you receive all the sacraments. So you get you get baptized, confirmed, and you receive Holy Communion all at one shot. And that was a very, very powerful initiation. Um, and it's wild. Like I have photographs of me um, up at the, up at the communion rail where I'm um, receiving communion for the first time. And you know, it's all this typical stuff that you see in like new age photographs. It's like the orbs and you can see like, it looks like I have a halo. I mean, there's just like this beam of light on me and it's kind of like, oh yeah, but confirmation is supposed to be when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so like, you can kind of see that in photographic evidence. Um, Oh, it was in, in, you know, it's it's kind of funny because, um, you know, and I think like talking to other people from other parts of the U.S. even, or, you know, I haven't even really spoken to many Catholics in other parts of the world. I mean, other than the Philippines. Um, but every church kind of has its own own flavor. I mean, obviously the pastor of the church is going to, is going to change the personality of a church a lot. And, um, but, you know, different, different ethnic groups are going to have their own, their own traditions that they also bring into it. So the neat thing about the church I went to in San Francisco, it was St. Patrick's. And so obviously this is like an old Irish church, but really the Irish community really didn't live in San Francisco anymore. They all moved. Most of the Irish people, like you might have a small Irish community out, like out by ocean beach, but most of them moved further South down the peninsula. And so, um, it was all Filipino priests and almost a hundred percent Filipino congregation at St. Patrick's and um, the Monsignor who was the pastor there um, every Sunday he did um, the noon mass was sung Latin and just gorgeous. The whole liturgy is sung and it's all ecclesiastical Latin. So there was just this magnificent ritual and, you know, he was still keeping the, the old language alive. And so um, I felt very at home there and I felt very like, I was, you know, (laughs) I was kind of like, I'm where I need to be. Um, And 
you know, they don't necessarily call it magic. I mean, they'd probably call it miracles. Um, but there was, you know, like one important thing to that community was that you choose a saint name for, um, for both your baptism and then for your confirmation as well. So you end up having like two saint names. So I thought long and hard about it. And I thought, I thought originally that I would be a Saint Bernadette um, because I had a very strong um, just connection to, to Lourdes and um, the apparition of the Blessed Virgin Mary there. And, um, but, you know, it's kind of funny, like I even had like a lot of saint medals of St. Bernadette and I had holy water from Lourdes and, um, you know, I really thought that she was going to be my patron saint, my baptismal name, because I had already known like way back that St. Michael was going to be my confirmation saint. St. Michael the Archangel. Um, because here he was somebody I, I knew previously anyway. And it was like, oh yeah, Saint St. Michael, that's that's a you know, he that was just a given. But at the last minute, um it was um it turned out to be Saint Mary Magdalene. Mm, cool. And um my priest kind of made a funny face, <laughs> you know, um, when I was like, yeah, I'm Mary Magdalene Michael and, you know, or Mary, Mary Michael. And, um, and it was kind of like, okay. And, uh, and it's only like more recently as I, you know, picked up a copy, for instance, of the the um, a more recent uh, translation of the Nag Hammadi, um, and um, you know, start reading like the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, and it's you know, it was just I'm sobbing in tears in front of um, you know her statue and like, Oh man, now I, now I get it. And, um, yeah, there was some other little funny little sinks in there, but, um, and it's also one of those things too, where I wonder if I, I often wonder, um, there's a lot of, um, Mary Magdalene is, is kind of a key player in a lot of Masonic stuff. And so mm. sometimes I wonder if that was like an ancestral thing yeah. because like my mom's family, especially, um, I mean like more recently they're Protestants. So my, all of my ancestors were just like WTF. Like, what is, what yeah. are you doing? <laughs> Um, so it took a while to kind of explain that one. Um, and then, yeah, so I kind of wonder if it wasn't the, the connection with like my paternal grandparents, um, they, they kind of 
gave me Mary Magdalene as my um, patron saint. Um, but that's the other funny thing is that you go back far enough and it's, it's actually not that many generations, but um, both my mom's family and my dad's family ended up here because they were Quakers and they were killing Quakers in England. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's like I was able to back in 2020 um, ancestry.com, you know, everybody's like locked up in their house. And so, you know, Oh, well, we'll give you like worldwide access to ancestry.com. Yeah. For like something ridiculously cheap. It was like 60 bucks or 50 bucks or something. I've never gotten it since because it's so expensive compared to how it was then. (laughs) Well, not only that, I, I can't remember who bought them, but it's like yeah, it got bought. No bueno. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I started just tracing it back and back and back and back, and I actually got all the way back to, um, like just the UK, and um, my mom's side of the family had been sentenced to transportation. Um, they were accused of stealing fabric Mm. and this was in Scotland. Um, and then you kind of, and then I kind of wonder like, well, you know, this is the 1630s. They're executing, um, Quakers and other, you know, sort of what they were thinking as being heretical Protestants. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's like part of me goes, well, were they really stealing or were these trumped up charges just to get rid of Quakers or, you know, who knows? Um, But in it, like my dad's side of the family, the first, um, my first ancestor to land here, um, he seemed to be Navy. So he was just here on some expedition. But yeah, it's kind of weird. Like just looking back at all that stuff, it's like, yeah, my family's been here for almost 400 years. And, um, and like, you know, that was before, that was before a lot of things, but it seems like, and especially my mom's side of the family, but my dad's side of the family as well, like they kind of show up and they start, you know, they join the the local meeting houses, but they kind of look around and see like Native Americans and go, we're going to be friends with those people. And so every, you know, few years as wherever they were living was getting more and more, you know, there was more people coming in. Yeah they would kind of um, there's just all these funny reports of like, you know, they and 20 of their, you know, Indian friends, you know, went off into Indiana territory and built a farmhouse. And so 
<laughs> that's what they were kind of doing. It was kind of like, nah, peace out. It's too crowded. Yeah. I'm going like to go that. hang out with our Native American friends. and Yeah, we're going to go with it where it's cool. Farming. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. But, um, yeah, so um, I was, you know, hardcore, devout Catholic. I mean, I, I had, uh, you know, gone to a Catholic university and um, then, um, and it was, you know, my godfather was a deacon. Um, so, you know, we'd have just these, you know, crazy dinner parties where he and I would start talking about like, cause I loved, I loved the movie, the last temptation of Christ. And he thought it was terrible. So we used to debate about <laughs> it all the time. Yeah. Um, but uh, after my godmother had passed away and my first husband and I got divorced um it felt really it you know the luster was gone and um and I had spoken I I had changed um I had changed churches at that point in time too I started going to a different church that was closer to my apartment and um I had spoken to the priest about you know here's what's happened. My husband has left me and, um, you know, for a cool 500 bucks and to say that I coerced him into marriage would get me a free pass would get me an annulment. And then I could, you know, once again, marry in the Catholic church, if I had so chosen, but right before all of that, um, really just really hitting rock bottom with grief. Um, Hakate shows up and I had never really spoken to her before. Um, and you know, it was, you know, I, I mean, it's hard to even, I, I, I have a hard time even recalling. I mean, I know that I was just, in the depths of despair after, you know, my first husband had left me and, you know, we were done. And, um, I mean, it was just like, all I could do was just wail like a wounded animal. And, and, um, you know, I kept, I kept praying. I mean, I was praying rosaries like nonstop and I was just begging, you know, the blessed mother to like help me. And I got 
radio silence. And I just, I didn't understand. It was just kind of like, what, what is happening? Like, why, why in my moment of most, my most need, like, why are you gone? And then who should appear, but Hakate. That's so interesting. she told me some things and um but mostly she was extremely sympathetic extremely comforting and she encouraged me to pull my things that had been stashed away in a in a wooden box on the top of a closet. Um, So, you know, my old, my old knife, my old uh, tarot cards that I had owned for years. Um, And, uh, and she came to me in a series of visits, um, probably over like a week and a half. And, um, and it was kind of like, okay, I guess I'm back here again. And I didn't really know how to square that. Like, I really didn't know how to square, like, you know, was being a Catholic, just a blip on the radar and like, what now he's gone. Like y'all don't want anything to do with me now. Well, fine. Um, which really wasn't the case, but yeah, in the moment it can seem, yeah, I understand. Yeah. In the moment, it definitely (laughs) seemed kind of like, wow, screw you guys. (laughs) (laughs) When really, like, I think in my experience, it's like being passed off. Like, Hey, you need like, you need to check this out for a little bit, but I'm sure you'll get to that. Anyway, continue. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely, I mean, it was, it was much later that, um, yeah, the, you know, the BVM and I, you know, made peace and I, and I kind of, and, and I'm sure that'll unfold over years to come as well. But, um, eventually, excuse me, we made peace, but, um, yeah, it, it was very, it was a very confusing time that it was just kind of like, wait, you know, I went all four paws in on this and now you've abandoned me. Like, I don't understand. So screw you guys. I'm going home. Yeah. And, um, so at that point I, I started kind of slowly and, and it wasn't, you know, I was still kind of going to mass on Sundays. Um, but then that even started dropping off and um and i just kind of and then i you know at the same time it wasn't like i was you know building a giant altar and starting ritual or you know doing magic that much to begin with i you know i was just kind of um I was just trying to kind of navigate my life without this other person that I had really built my life, you know, with and around and I'm trying to figure out, you know, 
what the next, because it really, um, like I had no idea that it was that broken and it, it was a total, like just blindsided. Yeah. So, um, like, and I had never considered, you know, what, what I would do without him. So just trying to, you know, navigate life. Yeah. It's that, that, lo- that losing a world, losing a world thing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know, I, I kind of, you know, at least I got the, I dusted off the tools and, um, kind of slowly bought back some books that I had sold a long time before. And, um, you know, by then like the internet had really just started. Um, you know, there were things like forums, which were great. All of a sudden it was like, Oh my gosh, this is wonderful. I can go check stuff out. And so, um, I started finding groups and, um, you know, just talking to people online and, and, um, I had also, I had lost contact with my best friend who I had been in a coven with back in my hometown and we had lost contact and we'd been out of contact for years and years. So, um, you know, I decided that, you know, I was going to move and I had met somebody else. And so there was just so much change going on. It was, it was crazy. Um, and I had a lot of false starts too. Like I had, um, you know, I had joined some online groups and things like that. And it was kind of like, huh, this is kind of weird. (laughs) I wasn't really sure how to, how to do the whole, um, the whole online, like ritual stuff. And it, it didn't make a lot of sense to me because I had come from very old school. Like I had lived with my teacher for years and, um, and so like, I kind of did an, an, an old fashioned apprenticeship, if you will. Um, so, you know, that was like magic in real time when you, you know, you live with your teacher, you, you know, a lot of the stuff um, you don't get from books, you know, you get from osmosis really. Yeah. Uh, and we had done like, there was, that's a, that's a whole other thing too. We had done some, I mean, now in retrospect, I kind of go that maybe that was a little bit risky, but we definitely did the uh, BAFO on a lot of stuff. (laughs) I I mean, it it was great experience. Um, But yeah, risky. I would recommend it to anybody (laughs) else though. (laughs) Sure. Well, yeah, that's, it's everyone's own decision to make, right? If they're gonna, oh, yeah. if they're gonna fafo or not? Yeah, well, it's kind of <laughs> like have a cocktail party and somebody channels Asmodeus. 
<laughs> not i mean he's charming by the way sure i'm great um, i'm sure he's a great cocktail <laughs> a great cocktail guest however oh he's a <laughs> he's a wonderful cocktail guest i mean like i remember the first time he showed up it was like um i think he was just so happy that we didn't want anything from him yeah, it was just I think like, that's like, Go ahead. hi, welcome. What can I make you to drink, sir? <laughs> yeah. Or like you weren't trying to bind him in a, you know, like I'm assuming you weren't trying to like bind him in a triangle and compel no, him, right? Like, like that. I think that approach so much more often. Yeah. And we can go into that if you want, but <laughs> sure. That no, approach I is, I just feel like it yields much more. And, uh, you know, maybe it's just the type of person I am that's like, Dude, I don't want to control you. I just want to talk. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. And that's why there, there's a funny, um, there's a funny cartoon that I saw years ago. And um, it, it's just a little four panel comic strip. And it was like how you make friends in your 30s. And it's like it has this guy with chalk and he like draws a pentagram on the ground and then like summons a demon and then they're out playing basketball. (laughs) Or there's another one that I I love even more, which is um, it. Gosh, how did this comic go? So. uh oh, this guy's in his kitchen and he's making a sandwich and he's got the mustard and he like accidentally draws a sigil on the bread and summons a demon. And he's kind of like, oh, cool. You want a sandwich? Do you want chips with that? So he hands this, this demon like a sandwich and chips and, um, and so, like, the, the last, like, pain of the comic or whatever is, like, you know, occasionally demons will show up and, and do stuff for him because they're like, hey, I can come over and get a sandwich with this guy. But that's a really, that to me is a really, and I haven't seen that, but I love that because to me, that's my whole theory of how I do this. Like, I just, like, maintain relationships. Yeah. And I feel like I end up getting what I need instead of having to uh, instead of having to like wheedle it out of somebody what I think I want and then go on like a six month side quest only to realize like, oh, I didn't even want that. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's that. And then like sometimes the things that you think that you want. Um aren't that good for you. They're not for my highest good. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, like, um, I'll just, well, okay. Here's an example. Um, so I had a long-term relationship after my divorce and he and I were together for probably I don't know, seven, almost eight years, something like that. So in the last couple of years, um, 
we were, it's kind of funny. He was a huge hockey fan and he was talking about when his family had first immigrated to the U S they were kind of debating, do we move to Canada or do we move to the U S they ended up in the U S but some of his cousins were up in Canada and he was a huge hockey fan. And so we used to go on vacation all the time to Vancouver in British Columbia. And so it seemed like every long weekend we got, we would use that as an opportunity to go up there. And, you know, that to, when to us, it was like, we didn't have to um, sacrifice too many of our vacation days. We could just turn a, an extended, you know, a long weekend into like a little bit of an extended trip. And we didn't, you know, use up so much vacation. Sorry, the ills of living in the U S with our paltry vacation time. Right. Um, and I loved Vancouver. Vancouver was, I'm yeah. assuming it still is amazing. Vancouver's great. Many years since I've been there, but, um, I just, I loved it. It was like somebody had flattened out San Francisco and scrubbed it down with hot water and bleach. And it was amazing. <laughs> there was seriously, there was no yeah. litter anywhere. Yeah. I thought it was beautiful. Uh, I went for a little yeah, bit myself. It's gorgeous. And people are super friendly. There was lots of fun things to do. Um, oh, gosh, I was in Stanley park every chance I could get. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a couple of times where, um, like the only time I've been in Seattle is running through SeaTac trying to catch a connecting flight because I had missed my original flight because I was having way too much fun on Granville Island. Um, and, uh, so we were, um, you know, the politics of the time were bad. <laughs> And so we were kind of like talking about, well, let's think about, you know, immigrating to Canada together. So, um, you know, long story short, we had done all the, the research and we had been following the blogs of several expat Americans who had gone to Canada and seemed to be really loving life um, since they did it. And you know, those were really good resources because they really talked about all the logistics that you needed to <laughs> have in place to be able to do that kind of a big move. And um, so we actually started the process. We were, um, we had filled out the paperwork and um, we were like, we were this close to like, sending off our, you know, passports and all this other stuff. But the one thing that they tell you is that right before you do that, you need to be ready to go because you never know like what kind of window of time that they'll give you. Um, because like the minute you go and get your, you know, you give them like your medical stuff and your passports and the forms, um, they can say you have to be up here in three months or 18 months or two years, you know, like the window, there didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason for like the window that they would give you. And, um, 
So we were right there ready to go, but then we were also kind of going like, okay, so we need to have, you need to have about six months. They have a matrix, a calculation or whatever. They, depending upon how many people are in your family, you have to post a bond for X amount of dollars, which is supposed to be the equivalent of six months of living expenses. Um, so that you're not like arriving and immediately going on like welfare or unemployment or whatever oh, they've gotcha. got. Um, and uh, so we were saving money and we were getting ready to go. And um, then, you know, it was like things started falling apart between us. And at the time I really didn't understand it. And I remember I was talking to a girlfriend and she was furious that I was leaving the country. And she's like, oh, I can't believe you're going to go up there. And even without thinking it, she's, I told her, like, I don't even know, like, why it came out of my mouth. It was nothing I had consciously thought of. And I just said, you know, I'm not moving to a foreign country with somebody I'm not married to. And I was like, what? Wait, where did that come from? Hmm. So um, we were probably together for like another year and a half. And, um, and then the longer I thought about it, the more I kind of go, I don't want to be married to this person. Like, I hope he doesn't ask. (laughs) And, um, then that had fallen apart. And, um, so we broke up and I never ended up in Canada. And then, you know, all of this lovely stuff happened in 2020 and now i'm extremely grateful yeah no doubt thank you ancestors for not letting me move to canada yeah (laughs) you got um yeah you got helped out there i think that's what what i mean it's like (laughs) you know like stuff i mean at the time i was really angry about that yeah i was just kind of like why am i stuck here and you know, ugh, I want to, you know, move forward and have an adventure and do something different. And I was pretty upset about it at the time, but then it ended up like way better. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Yeah. So. I've had experiences like that as well. Um, where at the time I was like, this is a disaster and a massive failure. And I am ashamed. And then like, I can look back like, Oh wait, that's the best thing that happened. <laughs> like, oh yeah, definitely. It's just funny. Oh yeah. I mean, there has been I mean, there's also, you know, I won't lie, there's been moments when, you know, even like I've kind of looked around at um like I have a dedicated room for ritual work and I store all my stuff in there, all my like my library is in there and um, my tools are in there. And there's been times where, um, you know, I'm getting ready to do some, you know, a campaign or I'm, I'm getting ready to do like a big ritual. And, you know, I start looking at the prices of frankincense or, yeah. you know, oh gosh, I've got to try and find, you know, whatever. And there's been times when I've kind of looked around and kind of went, what am I doing? 
like, what is this? What am I doing? This is ridiculous. And then I just kind of go, I guess I've got a weird hobby. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, then there's also times when I think, um, and it's kind of similar to what you've been describing in a way, I think, um, where it's time to, I'm trying to phrase this right. And this is just my experience. So if it's not yours, that's, you know, that's fine. Um, where it's time for me to learn acceptance for what's going, going to happen. And then there's times for me to like get in there and make shit happen. And I mm-hmm. don't really know when those times are besides just like following my intuition on it. Right. So like sometimes I just don't even feel the power to get up and like do the thing that it takes. And I'm like, okay, it's not time for that. Right. Like let me like work on my inner stuff. Right. And I I wonder if that's maybe, and I was going to ask you this. And so if I'm being presumptuous, then, you know, I am, but uh, (laughs) do you think that's part of what, um, like when you were talking about being sort of disenchanted with um, the paganism and the scene that you were in, like I sometimes wonder about about being too much, a hundred percent of the time in that mode of like we're going to make this happen. That kind of feels like it would be um, completely draining to me. Like I need that time of like, um, let me do something that's a little more. Like, well, for you, it was Catholicism, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What are your thoughts there? That may be kind of a rambling question, but like I see, okay, I'm going to c- continue to elaborate. <laughs> so often I see like people that are like, that are really compulsive about like making things happen. And I'm like, well, you don't look happy to me and I don't want anything that you have. <laughs> Hmm. There's, um, I don't know. I have a couple of thoughts about that. I mean, to me, it's like, I want nothing to do with telling other people what to do. Yeah. And that's, you know, probably why I'm not, why I'm not in Davos right now. Um, (laughs) but, um, You know, and I can never, I mean, that's the funny thing about, you know, I don't think that, I don't think that anybody a hundred percent knows themselves or their motivations or anything all at once, you know, like, you know, okay. So like, Like I've heard people talk, okay, say say angels, for instance. Like I've heard people say, well, is an angel a class of spirits or is it an office? Mm. And I go, hmm, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it's kind of like I kind of think about do you is there a way to make that that question like you know 
more so like you know it I mean like I don't know part of me thinks that it doesn't really matter that you know and that even if you did ask a spirit about their nature I'm not sure that they could answer any better than if you asked a human being what is mm, your nature that's really good I like that a lot um and you know I mean it's the same thing like if you ask um if you ask a person you know like is is being a manager an office or is that you know like a class of humans is that part of like who you are and i'm not you know i mean like there's some subtle differences there but i'm not even sure that the person that you're asking that of could answer that question <laughs> yeah and, you know with, i mean they, they could answer it but i'm not sure that it would be um comprehensive it's kind of like uh, an un uncertainty principle right like are you a particle or a wave it's like well <laughs> yes depends on when, when you're asking yeah, right. <laughs> i don't know <laughs> maybe um and so like and i am definitely like i know that um you know i love divination divination's great and i i've I've got a lot of different tools in that particular toolbox. Um, but I think that there's also something to be said about not, you know, and, and that's like, you know, I love planning and I love, you know, you know, working in, in a direction that I, you know, I think I want to go in, but a big part of me is also like, I need to be open to other stuff that might happen along the way that might either completely change the course of where I think I'm going or what I think I want. Um, you know, I, I just, that's just me. I just like to be open to like some serendipity happening at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And even though it happens on like really weird time, you know, like schedules, I guess, um, I still feel kind of like the intuition, if it feels right, um, is like the time to do the thing. Um, yeah. but at the same time, falling back on intuition, if you want to call it that, or, you know, feelings or vibes or whatever, um, that's also a huge, huge, huge excuse to not do the thing or, you know, to be lazy and not be disciplined. And I think that there are is definitely um, times for, you know, making a commitment to doing a project that, you know, spans 
multiple weeks, months, years sometimes. And um, I mean, you know, you think about it, it's like, well, um, you know, you go and get a college degree, you're making a commitment to do the thing in four years. And um, so you bring to bear, you know, your tools and discipline and your commitment and, you know, you reach your goal at the end of four years. And so there's definitely time and place for that and magic. And, um, you know, and I think that that's where a lot of people get in trouble with, um, with spirits is that, um, they don't think of introducing themselves or maintaining those relationships until they really need them. And, you know, if you did that to a person, if you did that to a human person, um, they're not going to return your phone calls after a while. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to realize like you are a self-centered user and I don't want anything to do with you. Um, now granted, like, you know, it's like, how, how do we meet human people? Well, you know, sometimes you've got to hire a specialist. And so usually that means money and you call and you make an appointment and they, you know, do the specialized thing for you and, and you pay them the money and you're done contract fulfilled. Um, and then sometimes you make friends with that service provider and um, sometimes, you know, that'll develop into a friendship where you don't necessarily have to come with payment every single time. Sometimes they'll, they're your friend now when they will do you a favor. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, invite them to the cocktail party. Don't necessarily have them show up when you're on your way to the ER. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I like it. Um, yeah. Keep the lines open. Keep the lines of communication open. Oh yeah. It's good. And that's, I mean, like I started, I mean, I even do that on my own. They, um, there's times when I kind of realize, like, Oh, like, you know, and the longer you go, the more relationships you make, it gets, it gets really hard to be able to do like, I mean, if devotion's your jam, uh, you know, I'm okay with devotion. Um, but, you know, the more, the more spirit friends you gain over the course of time, it's really hard to keep up on, you know, more elaborate devotional practices for each and every one of them and not neglect anybody. It's a lot of bowls. Uh, yeah. So it's like, <laughs> have a spirit cocktail party, invite everybody, dance and play music and drink or, you know, whatever your thing is. <laughs> and that way you can kind of say hi to everybody. I, I uh, like that. I like that. I mean, that's a feast. Yeah. And, you know, and it's kind of funny because like, 
you know, yet yeah, really it was, um, it was Gordon White's Saint, um, Saint course. I had, um, I had joined RuneSuit premium membership right at the tail end of the Grimoire course. And I saw, I think he posted something on Twitter about the Saint course starting soon. So um, I was like, huh, do I care about saints? I don't know if I care about saints anymore. Like they kind of, you know, they kind of ignored me when I felt like I needed their support the most. And I felt kind of disrespected. So I don't know if I care about saints. And, um, because by then I was, you know, back hardcore, like I was still, I was actually getting over, um, I was getting over Wicca. (laughs) Um, It had been something that, you know, I was just most familiar with. And so I had actually joined a Gardnerian coven and I had been initiated as a Gardnerian Wiccan and elevated to the second degree. And um, at some point in time, I just kind of realized like, this is just, more of the same that I've been having my entire life and I'm done. I'm just done. And I I wasn't mad at anybody. I didn't dislike anybody. It was just, it was the wholesale thing. It was, this is beautiful and I've gotten so much out of it, but it's not enough and it's not, there's so much more. And I just felt like I was stuck in this cul-de-sac and um, like nothing really, nothing really made sense to me either. Cause I was like, um, there's a whole lot of assumptions as far as, um, Oh, just kind of an underlying philosophy. I guess you'd call that cosmology or, um, you know, even, I don't know. I just kind of went, you know, this is kind of, this is kind of narrow and it's, and it's not enough for me anymore. I, I need to find something else. So, um, through a variety of things, I had happened upon, uh, Gordon White stuff and kind of went, chaos magic huh like here's something that i was warned off of or you know kind of like yeah this is probably not for you back in the late 80s um because i was like what's chaos magic and everybody was like oh no that's not for you that's no don't ignore that okay you know because these were my friends and these were people who you know, I thought had my best interests at heart and who, you know, knew me. So it was, you know, really easy to, you know, to take that advice and ignore it and just pretend it didn't exist. And so I'd never heard of it ever again. And, um, 
so I was like pretty hardcore into um like I had joined a couple of polytheist groups and so I was very very much in that kind of headspace and um I was on a on a private group um mostly Dionysians and uh somebody had posted a um a blog post that um Ivy Bromius had posted on her website Circle Thrice. So I clicked through and read it and was just mind blown. I was like project planning for magic this is what an idea. So I think I spent like three or four days just binge reading so many sections of her blog, um, reading all about like what agile project planning was and about bullet journals and about project planning. And so then that sent me down the rabbit hole of bullet journals. And I went and read a bunch of blog posts on, um, Oh, his name's writer, writer Carol, I think. Um, he's the inventor of the bullet journal. And so I started reading his stuff. And so I started following Ivy, I think on, on Twitter and, um, through reading everything she had mentioned, I'm a member of Rune Soup and it's the best $10 a month I spend. Really? Rune Soup? What is this? Are these heathens? <laughs> like, you know, I was like, huh, okay, cool. You know, <laughs> I'll go check it out. So here I go and check out Rune Soup and I'm enchanted. I just, I'm like, wow, this is awesome. He's like talking about conspiracy theory and he's talking about like magic and just all this stuff. And it's like amazing. And, um, you know, and then the amount of like history that he talks about, he's also talking about like a lot of ancient history and a lot of like, quote unquote, alternative history. And I'm like, oh my God, this is this is great. You know, like, where do I sign up? So I see this. So I see like, he's got an app, you know, he must've posted something about how the saints course is coming up and I'm going, Oh God, do I want to do this again? They wanted me to lie. So I could just get married again in the church. And I don't know if I want to do that. And I was like, Oh, what the hell? So I, joined up with rune soup and then i used that time when they were finishing up the grimoire course live that i just like binged his other couple i mean because there wasn't there was only i think the sigils course and then the journeying course that were out before that so um so i was there when the saints course happened live and um and you know then i i 
I basically ordered all of his books. Well, I got uh, Starships. Starships had been published, but um, I got that as a as a Kindle. But then I bought um, I bought Pieces of Eight, and I bought uh, Chaos Protocols also, and then just like binged read those as fast as I can. And so I started doing some of the stuff out of chaos protocols. Um, I, chaos uh, protocols is so great. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. And so I was like, Oh, cool. Like, you know, I kind of like this Hermanubis guy. Let me go, let me go check him out and let's check out this headless, right. And, you know, I was just, I was like, let's, let's do all the things. So we get into the saints course. And so one of the first things in there was, um, an introduction to St. Cyprian. So I'm going like, huh, why does that name sound so familiar? And um, I, so I'm going through the course and um, I meet, you know, Cyprian and in a journey and, um, and so, you know, and I mean, here's the thing about saints too, is that, you know, they've got an agenda. Their agenda is usually that they're Catholic their agenda is to get butts and pews. I mean, you'll find yourself, I mean, not always. I mean, obviously you have free will and agency and you can always say no, but saints will always be trying to get you to square up and, um, you know, figure out your relationship with Christ it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that dealing with a saint is going to like, yeah. Cause no, they yeah. think that they're going to get something for nothing. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, saints are cool because most of them have been human at one point in time. So they're in this unique um, space where they understand what it's like to be a human person. Um, but they just have extra superpowers and, um, and yeah, they're, um, but yeah, their, their agenda is definitely to, um, make sure that you've got a, a good relationship with Christ, <laughs> um, and whatever that might look like for you. And you might be surprised what that, what that really looks like. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so I remembered driving home one night. So um, I used to have a standing dinner date with my husband once a week. Um, And that's a whole long, funny story. And I can tell that too, if you want. But um, I did end up getting married um, a second time to somebody completely different. And um, so we used to have a standing dinner date at this little hole in the wall Indian restaurant about a mile and a half from where we lived. And uh, so on my way home from the restaurant, so we used to meet there after work. And um, 
on my way home one night, I ended up having to take a detour. They were doing some road work on the normal route I took to get home. And so I ended up in this neighborhood that I had never been in before. And lo and behold, there was a St. Cyprian's church. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's right. That's where I've seen that before. So I go and chat up Cyprian a few more times, and he really wants me to go to Mass. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to go to Mass. I'm going to get struck by lightning, Cyprian. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, so I show up there and um you know i i went online and looked at you know mass times and so i decided look oh, okay i'll go on a saturday night i'll go to the vigil mass so that way i don't have to like i'll sit in the back with the widows and um and the old people <laughs> and and uh you know just be kind of incognito so yeah that's how cyprian got me back in church um and it was funny because I show up and then I realize it's really St. Cyprian of Carthage's church. So I'm sitting in the back of this church and mass is happening. And um, so I kind of ask him, I'm like, Cyprian, like, like you're Cyprian of Antioch and this church is actually for Cyprian of Carthage. Like, uh, you know, what do I make of this? And he's like, oh, no, don't worry about it. He's like, I, I still pick up my mail there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I was I was going to mass every Saturday night. Um, and... You know, I mean, it was just, it was just wild because like I had so many like weird experiences. I remember sitting in the back of the, you know, cause I would always sit in the back pew and, uh, I remember like mass is happening and I see, well, cause there's a crucified Jesus always behind the altar. Right. Um, and, uh, I see his eyes blink and I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> and, you know, I, kind of, I kind of see him there. I, I see Jesus there and he kind of, he kind of winks at me and then like, then he's gone again. And I'm yeah. like, well, that's awesome. What? I don't know what to think. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of funny. Like, I'm just kind of like going like, okay, so I am a magician who is secretly going to mass on Saturday nights. And um, You almost think they have a sense of humor or something, right? Oh, <laughs> completely. I mean, you know, and then we go back to spirits having humans do weird things. Yes, so. yes. <laughs> I love it. And, um, so it was just, yeah, it was just, it was wild because then, um, so I had had, I had been dogless 
for a couple of years at this point in time, uh, probably like close to three years. And so I really, I really wanted a dog again. And by this time we had moved to a, a, a bigger house. We'd actually moved to a real house. Not um, we, we had first lived in a townhouse when we um, got married. And um, so now that we were living in a house with a backyard, I was like, I can have a dog again. And so um, we adopted a dog. And so, you know, I mean, it was, it's common enough that, um, like I could never, I could never, I never ever wanted to be romantically involved with another magician. Never. Um, I, I feel like, um, I would just float away into the ether if I had another magician in the household. It's like, uh, no one magician per household. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, um, so I had to come through the family room to make it out to the backyard and I was getting ready to do the headless, right. And, um, we had only had our, we had adopted this dog and we'd only had him for maybe a week and a half, two weeks. And he was fine. He'd fit right into the household and everything. And so, you know, my husband sees me walking through, you know, I've got this box of candles and rum, you know, a bottle of rum and all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, peace out. I'm going to be in the backyard. I'll see you later. So, um, I, you know, I, I set up, you know, I'm starting to set everything up and, um, I'm starting to um, just get ready to start the ritual. And I, um, I actually drew a circle for this one, I think. And the next thing I know, my dog is going absolutely apeshit, like just nuts. He is barking like crazy and he is jumping up in the air and he is just going bananas, like just crazy. So my husband just lets him out. And the next thing I know, he runs right past me and goes straight to this corner of the yard. And his hair is all standing up on end and he's growling. And I realize like, ew, it's an icky, creepy, little impy, icky spirit thing. I don't know what it is. So I threatened it with my ritual knife and um, he was gone. And my dog was like, okay, cool. So he comes over, sits down in the middle of the circle and just sits there and is like, okay. What's next? What are you doing? So he's kind of been my companion. That's awesome. Since. I love it. And um so yeah, after after a couple of years of, you know, and then 
you know, going through, you know, sticking with Rune Soup because I just, I fell in love with it. The people there are amazing. Um, Gordon's so smart and he always makes me think about things in different ways. And it's just, Ivy was absolutely right. The best 10, now 12 or $15 I spend a month. Um, and, uh, real quick. Yeah. I need a, I need a bathroom break. Okay. And then when we get back, I want to talk about angels. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a good segue or not, but we're just going to do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> right on. So did you find that like when, have angels been a constant for you or have they kind of come and gone with your time in Christianity or what's been your experience there? Cause you said you had an early relationship with St. Michael, right? Like you knew that was going to be yeah, um, your confirmation or whichever way it was baptism or yeah. confirmation. Um, uh, so what's your like experience there? If you don't mind sharing that, like what's, has that been a through line the whole time or what? St. Mike, I would say St. Michael, um, well, actually the three, the three archangels, um, Raphael, Gabriel, and Michael have all been, um, have all been more or less present. Um, they just go with everything, right? Yeah. I mean, and especially Michael, like Michael's just always been around, I guess. Um, you know, I mean, sometimes he'll be more active in sure. my life, I guess, than other times, but um, I've never felt like he was, you know, far away or, you know, he wasn't taking my calls. Um, other angels, though, that's been more recent. Yeah, cool. Say. That angel course on Rune Soup is like phenomenal, by the way. It is. And um and I'm still actually working the um Shemhem Farash. Um nice. and um and that's been really eye-opening, really interesting. Yeah. Um I did um I worked with another group. I think um I think Gordon did a tea with them. Uh it was just kind of the, they were they called themselves the Flappy Boys group or whatever. And yeah, um, the Angel Angel Scryers. Yeah. And I had done one working with them, which was really it was really potent and really interesting. And they were actually um we were actually calling on Lucifer and, um, and I think we were working, we were working the right out of, I can't remember what, which book it was. I mean, I know it was one of the golden horde books, but I can't remember which one it was. Um, but it was, it was super just, I mean, it's a very long, long invocation and, um, you know, things got 
really weird. Like during the invocation, it was one of those things where you just, even though I was like out in my backyard, um, which is pretty private and pretty quiet, you know, as soon as we got really going, you can just, I could just really feel how everything had just changed. It was really, um, you know, things got kind of eerie, I guess is the Mm. best way to describe it. And, um, and then I went in to scry and I don't know, it was just comical. It was like a scene out of like John Wick three or something. It was like this, it was like a secretary or like an operator going like, I'm sorry, all lines are busy at this time. Lucifer will visit you tonight in your dream and um, you'll see him then. Okay. So, you know, everybody kind of came back. We all gathered up again afterwards. And so like all these other people had like all these amazing messages and visions and you know, whatever. And, um, and I'm like, yeah, I, I got told that, you know, he'll see me in a few hours. <laughs> so, um, but that night he showed up as promised in, in dream space and, um, told me quite the story. Um, it, his story had everything to do with the watchers and um, you know, or what, what the watchers are described as in the book of Enoch. And um, it was a really, um, I don't know. It was a really interesting version of events. Um, And I, and I can say that I haven't, I haven't talked to him again. And so I haven't really sensed that he's been around or anything. Um, I think he said what he had to say and I could probably dial him up again if I had questions. Um, That being said, I'm really excited to hear that, um, that uh, this, the Scarlet imprint uh, Peter Gray is supposed to be publishing his praxis. Yeah, I'm really looking looking forward to that. Yeah, that that'll be interesting. Can you share it all? Can um, you share any of that at all, or is that um, privileged information? Um, if it is, I understand. I get it. <laughs> well. What I can say is that he pointed to, hmm, he pointed to that story and kind of gave a little bit more background um, as to you know, kind of like what was really going on um, 
And it kind of speaks to, you know, for, I don't know, for one of a better term to call it like the war of the sexes or the war between the sexes or, because my question, my question had always been like, you know, because I mean, like I grew up when I, uh, when I started you know, reading this stuff and and getting into the stuff, it was all like feminist Wicca stuff. So, you know, granted, they were going off this, um, you know, the story that's not like real history of, you know, an ancient, you know, goddess-centered religion and all these kinds of things. And so I had gone around for a really long time you know, really, really believing that and kind of wondering like what went wrong? Like, how is it that women are, you know, have fallen from that, from that place of, of honor and equity? Um, you know, why, why are they so abused now? I guess is the best way to put it. And um, so what I can say is that what he showed me kind of just added a little bit more to like why um You know, what was going on, not necessarily the why of it, but kind of like what was happening. And then, like, I think that when, like, human men realized that angels were treating human women a lot better, that they kind of threw a temper tantrum with swords. And there was a lot of blood. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, things have kind of sucked, but, um, you know, and I'm not, and I'm not sure like what his agenda is and I'm not sure, sure. you know, if that story is, it, it's a story, it's a different story. Um, well, it definitely riffs off of you know, what I read in, in the book of Enoch, but, um, well, I think as a story too, like, well, that's the thing. Like, I don't, I don't think there is anything such thing as just a story, you know, like this all are kind of parts and right. Like you said, like, what's the agenda there? Like, that's another thing I always have to look at. Like there's a lens that this stuff is being given through and that spirit is often the lens Right. So I think mm-hmm. that's incredibly cool, interesting and valuable. And I like, I just love other perspectives. Like I tell me a story 10 different ways and I'm closer to the truth. If you just told me it one way. Sure. And it's, I don't know. I mean, there seems to be, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Like, I mean, one thing that <laughs> like, so I really got into watching um, the OA um, on Netflix as well. 
Now, I also watched Requiem, which is amazing. <laughs> that's um, <clears throat> that's a really intense, uh, really creepy um, show on Netflix about um, it's kind of related to um, uh, John D and like the Enochian angels and oh, stuff. I need, to, I need to check that out. It's it's really good. Um, I won't spoil it for you. Actually, it would be impossible to spoil it, I think. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it's kind of interesting how angels are like super, like kind of in the, in the, in the air recently. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I mean, I've heard some different takes from people, especially um, on Enoch. And what's wild to me is that like Ethiopia is this like crazy place in Africa. It's like, it's one of, I think it's like the only country in Africa that was not colonized. Supposedly the Ark of the Covenant lives there. Right. And that's where the books of Enoch were found. And, um, and the, the, And what's also weird to me, like one thing that I've been recently thinking with is that um, like I love Ethiopian food, for instance. And um, I remember like this was decades ago that I remember sitting in an Ethiopian restaurant and they had like these paper placemates, placemats. And they had like the Ethiopian writing and, you know, it was like a, it was like a little alphabet, you know, and they had like the English equivalents next to them. And, and I was like, wow, that's really wild. That's so, that looks so much like Armenian. And I have like a really close friend who's Armenian and, um, he was talking about how like the um the folklore or tradition or whatever says that Noah's ark actually when the flood waters receded the ark is at Mount Ararat which used to be Armenia um, but it's now in Turkey, but because there's a long standing yeah. hostilities between Turkey and Armenia. But yeah, it's like Armenians had always talked, you know, at least in their tradition, was that Noah's Ark had landed at Mount Ararat and that supposedly it's still there. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but I always thought that was really interesting how like Enoch, I think is Noah's great grandfather and his books are found in Ethiopia back in the early 1800s, late 1700s. And, um, Actually, it's kind of interesting, too. I just read this article in the most recent um, issue of the Smithsonian Magazine. And um, 
they are interviewing a gentleman and they're um he um he was working on this whole um like Dead Sea Scrolls Nag Hammadi uh translation project and um he's talking about um I guess at some point in time of some hundred and fifty years ago or whatever um oh, excuse me um they had found this steel and um had washed up somewhere near I don't know where it was it was somewhere near the Arabian Sea I think or a river maybe and um the steel was supposedly carved by the Moabites who are who were an enemy of the Israelites and so they were talking about how this guy they they call him the polymath that um I guess he'd grown up in a very um evangelical Christian home and So he had a lot of questions about inconsistencies in the Bible and things like that. So eventually he ended up going um, to like theology school and all these other things. And, um, and so now he's like learning all these different ancient languages. So his part of the project, he was assigned to translate the books of Enoch And so he had to go and he was like one of two students who were learning Ge'ez, which is the ancient language. It's an Ethiopian language. And it's just, it's such an interesting, like, I mean, they're not that far apart, but they're also not that close. And there's so many other elements that come into this because like, for instance, um, and I haven't read the book yet. I just got it um, not too long ago. But apparently, um, Graham Hancock, before he wrote all of these books about, you know, like Underworld and Supernatural and all these cool books, um, he used to be like a current events correspondent in Ethiopia. So um, the story as he tells it is that he was covering something and he was in Ethiopia and he ended up out like really close to the Eritrean border, I think. And he's at this, there's this building, it's like a chapel or a temple or whatever. And there's, um, there's a priest out front and like Graham Hancock describes him as having like these really gnarly cataracts. and he tells Graham Hancock that the Ark of the Covenant is in that building and like, Oh, can I see it? Nope. Nobody can see it. Nobody can go in there. And so, um, this mystery had like, I don't know, sparked his interest. So now all of a sudden he ends up going on this completely different, you know, career path and kind of leaving current events behind And so he writes this book that I have yet to read. I'm fascinated um, about how supposedly what happened is that the queen of Sheba had made a trip to go meet King Solomon. And apparently they had 
a romance going on. So Queen of Sheba comes back. Now, I've heard some people say Sheba is Ethiopia. I've heard other people say Sheba is actually Yemen. In any case, she has a son that Solomon fathered. And apparently when this young man reaches some kind of adult age, he and a group of people go up into Jerusalem and steal the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back to Sheba. And so the Ethiopians maintain that what he stole is sitting in this temple in, I guess, northeastern Ethiopia. And so Graham, Han- like one thing that Graham Hancock was talking about is that it's really interesting how um, he's got um, like the Ethiopian church is like the only place that has um they have a tradition of like venerating the um the ark of the covenant or the 10 commandments in some way um that they um that like i guess every ethiopian church has like either like a copy of like the 10 commandments like on tablets or some kind of um replica of the ark and that they regularly do processions with it and so you know there's that part of it and then like what also kind of hooks in and so like i don't know there's just so many different elements to it and it's so wonderfully messy because like the the tradition says that you know Solomon built the temple by binding demons and having them do the work. And then, um, you know, and then like when um, one thing I did catch was uh, like the three Magi, when they come to visit the Christ child or the, when he's an infant, um, that, I'm not sure if it's Balthazar or one of them, but one of them is supposed to be from Sheba. And so it's like, whoa, this is all oh, so messy. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that part. Yeah, it was like I kind of I caught that somewhere and it was like, you know, they're from the east, but I mean, I guess that's east of Egypt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, it's like the super interesting. And then you kind of go back and like angels being, you know, older than the Israelites, um, you know, either being part of Canaanite religion or Mesopotamian slash Assyrian. I mean, they're all kind of cousins. Right. Uh, so yeah, I mean that it was, you know, and for some reason, like, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know how they do it, but one thing I've found is that when spirits are trying to communicate something, 
I'm not sure if they can pluck it out of your own consciousness or how they exactly do it, but I have found that they will often use popular cultural references um, to to try and explain something to you. They'll like show you, um, they'll they'll play for you like a part of a song or show you part of a movie. It kind of go like it was kind of like this. So when Lucifer showed up in my dream, he, and I don't know if you've seen this movie or not. Have you seen the movie Hancock? Uh, Yeah. 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 So, you know, at the, at near the end of the movie, when Will Smith Hancock is lying in the hospital bed and um, Charlize Theron shows up and she starts telling him their history and about, you know, Oh, you know, we were living together again and they, and they came for us with swords and there was so much blood. Like Lucifer kind of went, yeah, when like things went down between men and the watchers, it was like that. And I was like, oh, that's a bummer, dude. Um, Wow. So how this all kind of connects to what I was thinking about with the OA, and I don't know if you've seen the OA at all. I Um, still haven't, but I, I get recommended it so often. I really need to watch it. There's parts of it where it kind of goes like, why am I watching this? This, <laughs> And then it, then it picks up again and you're kind of like, Oh, okay. I get it. Um, two things about that is that. Um, well, I, I don't want to spoil it to you. I don't want to spoil it for you. Um, so I don't know how much I should say. Um, there's a character in there who it it has, the whole show has a lot to do with near death experiences. And so one of the characters is studying near people who have experienced near death experiences and trying to figure out how to sort of get the the quote-unquote superpowers that kind of come along with having a near-death experience. And like a lot of people have criticized like the angels of the Watchers as maybe they're not, maybe they're not the good guys because they have you know, if you look at all the technology that they were teaching women, you know, metallurgy, meaning here, here's the technology to forge a sword or a spear or arrows um, and astrology. <laughs> and, you know, there's all these different, all these different kind of technologies that they were teaching, but they were teaching women. They were not teaching humankind. They were not teaching men. They were only teaching women. And what struck me about that story is that similar to the OA, this 
person who's studying people with NDE experiences, um, he's looking for that technology and its ill-gotten gains, much like how men have taken the technology that angels taught to women, it's ill-gotten gains Mm. that the angels didn't mean for them to have that. They meant for women to have that. And it's, it's kind of interesting too, how, um, you know, even something like, I mean, I think out of all of it, it looks like cosmetics are the only thing we got to keep for ourselves. Right. Yeah. (laughs) No doubt. Cause I mean, like even in the ancient world, you don't really see women practicing astrology. I think there's, there's one example I think Chris Brennan mentions in his book. Um, she was a daughter of a of like a well-known or famous um, astrologer, and that apparently she knew how to cast charts and and had done some client work. But like she's rare. Um, yeah. Most of the time, you know, all the way from the ancient world all the way through you know, the Renaissance and middle ages, it seems like astrology was something that was um, practiced only by men. Hmm. So there's a lot to unpack in that. Yeah. (laughs) Cause like part of me, it's the paranoid part of me is like, well, did they fucking know that was going to (laughs) happen? Like, like that seems like a pretty intense intervention, right? Yeah. On the watcher's part. Like, uh, whoops. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's kind of, uh, there's also, I mean, like now that I'm thinking about it also, it occurs to me that, um, I recently watched this documentary on this, um, on this woman healer and shaman who lives in the Andes and, um, and just even reading through, you know, some of the background on, on that and that, um, and even some of the stuff that, that Gordon White has been talking about, like on his podcast and stuff about, um, you know, human beings are supposed to be, you know, just all about, we're supposed to be making things prettier. We're supposed to be making things more beautiful. And it's, it's like, um, you know, if, well, this also kind of ties back into devotion. For a long time, I really struggled with how to be in a devotional relationship with a God. When, you know, what do you really have to offer them? If they're this very powerful being who has created things, like what could I possibly offer to this spirit that would be of value? 
And so a lot of the recent things I've read and heard are that there isn't, you know, anything that you could really offer other than arranging things in a beautiful way and, and making things more beautiful. And that's, that's the offering, you know, whether that's, that means singing or dancing or making a a bouquet of flowers or making an altar or, you know, arranging things in such a way that, you know, colors, painting, you know, art, these things, you know, make, make what you've been given and arrange it in such a way to make it more beautiful. And so you go back to the things that the watchers gave women. It's almost like those gifts have been twisted and warped because metallurgy can just as easily make jewelry and bells and horns to make music with. And instead, you know, they were made into weapons and, um, you know, it's like, then you can, you can even take it further and say like, well, they also taught us astrology. So, Hey, if they taught us about gemstones and metallurgy, maybe we should be making talismans. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 Instead of, (laughs) instead of missiles. Instead of missiles and tanks and swords. Yeah. But it's almost, yeah. And those things got taken and, 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 um, used to create empire basically. Um, so interesting, right? But it doesn't seem to me like I've, um, I don't know. I've read, you know, the book of Enoch. I've read the book of Enoch out loud outdoors. And those angels, those spirits do not strike me as being the same spirits that Dr. D describes in in Enochian magic. I I don't I have my doubts if those are the same people. I do too. I don't I don't really yeah, I don't think so either. I mean Just even so this physical description of them, like I'm pretty sure those are not the same same folks. But yeah, I don't know. Like angels are kind of angels are kind of neat but there's definitely a um i've noticed that like engaging with angels makes time weird yeah um that (laughs) like i don't know i'll find myself having to repeat myself because like people won't remember a conversation that we just had like two days ago. And it's like, really? Like, interesting. I'm sure I told you this whole thing. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it, they definitely make time a little bit weird and um I don't know if I buy all the all the jealousy stuff too. Um cuz I guess there's some there's some folklore or whatever about, you know, angels being jealous of people that, you know, you know, why are we so favored by God? You know, they're better. And I'm like, eh, I don't really get that vibe from them, but no, I also met every angel. So I don't know. True. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't get that either. I get a, um, almost a reverence. You know, for people. Yeah. For humans. Yeah. But maybe that's just the ones I have spoken to, you know? Well, the Shemhem Farash, that's so far been a very interesting experience. Um, some of the, the, some of the ones that tie into like personal natal chart stuff um, are a lot more like tough love. I got, I got screamed at pretty hard (laughs) (laughs) by one of them. Um, But, um, but the others are, um, they have some pretty interesting perspectives and some pretty interesting advice. I mean, like, I can't say that um I can't say that it's any universal advice. I mean it was definitely me specific. Yeah, um, that's how, that's a lot of it for me too. Yeah, I mean I I'm not out here like hey everybody, this is what an angel told me so you all have to do this. Yeah, that's why when you I know. was going to have if there was any I was going to share, I made sure to ask the specific question of like what do you have that I can share? Because yeah. the rest of it was just like this seems completely just me. That's a good idea. I haven't I haven't asked that. I just kind of went with whatever you want to tell me. I'm I'm yeah. listening, and, and like a lot of it, or all of it, didn't seem like it was applicable to anybody <laughs> except for me. Yeah, totally. The um, I did get. Um, I can't remember which Deccan of Aries the sun is exalted in. Um, but they really wanted to talk to me about, um, nuclear weapons Mm. and plans to try and blot out the sun. Oh yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's a concern of mine too, but I don't really know what to say about that. Yeah, I can come to you and it's kind of like, yeah, I don't I don't know who yeah. to I don't know if I can do anything about that. Sorry. It can be super heavy. Yeah. It's yeah. like I share your concern and now that you've told me about that, I'm kind of freaking out, but I don't know if there's anything I can do about it. Hey, look, 
don't be afraid, but I got some shit to tell you about nukes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, man, come on. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, I saw the the day after or whatever that was. Back oh, yeah, I, that that's that's I, a horrifying. I was little when I saw that, too. I think I that's like, <laughs> some fear propaganda, though. Like, I actually don't think that's how it would be i think like there's a big vein of that like honestly yeah i don't know how i feel about that kind of stuff even though i loved I mad i loved mad party. max growing up you know like mad max oh, like yeah. one of my favorite movies but like i don't think it's gonna happen like that oh god i hope not I think it's way weirder what happened. I mean, Thunderdome was way too campy to be taken seriously. Yeah. <laughs> the first two, oh yeah, my they're, god. They're fucking I was brutal. like, this is bad. I hope yeah. that it doesn't turn out like this. But, I mean, when it comes to nukes also, I mean, it's like we could always go in and talk to you know, the people who lived through it in Japan, but um, you know, and I mean, I'll probably forever have that image of like, um, I don't know, there was, a, you know, it's something you always shown like in high school history class or whatever that that outline of a human being as yeah. before they got vaporized by, you know, a nuke or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, they leave like an like a like a uh, photo negative. Yeah, um, it's like a shadow or something, but on the sidewalk or whatever. Yeah. And so, you know, I'll probably always remember that, but um Well, the thing about nukes that are interesting to me, right, is that like there's actually scarier uh, weapons to me. Like a firebombing to me would be like the most horrifying thing ever, like the firebombing of Dresden. It's like Oh, yeah. Uh in a lot of ways worse. However, it's I think like the nuke carries so much propaganda with it it's like nine tenths of what it's for is just for that you know what i mean like to the point where some people think that they're fake i don't really think they're fake i just think that like there's actually worse shit (laughs) you know what i mean well yeah Uh, i mean i've never i've never heard anybody say they're fake that's that's oh i have Oh really? Uh, okay, look, there that's one of the things that's happening right now and like it's an interesting reaction to like the weirdness of reality that's occurring and like granted there's a lot of propaganda flying around. There's a lot of cognitive yeah. dissonance being imposed. Yeah. But yeah, you basically have like this kind of um I see this current of like everything is a psyop, everything is fake. Um we right. didn't do anything like you know and like that's just as dangerous as falling into any of the psyops right like sure i don't know it's just an interesting um effect of the times that we're in i think well here's the other thing though that's kind of strange i have here's another book i just i just got in the mail like seriously i think it showed up like two days ago um I don't know if you saw the episode of like the 10 best 
conspiracy theory books that was yeah. Um, yeah, between yeah. Greg Carlwood and uh, Gordon White. And so I think it was Gordon's book about like death on Mars. So I just got a copy of that. And right now I'm reading um, Richard Hoagland's Dark Mission. It's like a, it's like a history of NASA and it is seriously blowing my mind. I don't even, you know, and it's really weird too. I remember, oh my gosh, this was years ago. Um, I want to say this was probably about, I don't know, 12 years ago or something. I, I was a member of my local, um, chamber of commerce. And, um, so the chamber of commerce had like little groups of people that would meet on a weekly basis to like share referrals and talk about, you know, business and how things were going and stuff like that. And, um, and so, you know, people had been, you know, basically being a group together, some of people for like many years. And so these were all like friends. I mean, granted, they were professional friends, but, yeah. and the thing that was nice was that like nobody could, um, nobody could be like the same business. Like you could only have one real estate agent. You could only have one insurance agent. You could only have one doctor or, you know, whatever. So, and then each group, they had somebody from who was an actual chamber of commerce employee who was there to kind of like facilitate and make sure everybody was a member and, you know, whatever, it, you know, and also to share news about the chamber of commerce and like events and promotional opportunities and things like that. So the, the guy from the chamber of commerce at our group, our local group was this really cool guy. He was awesome. And so, you know, one day he calls me up and he was like, he wanted to, you know, he wanted to have lunch and, and, and talk. So I'm like, sure, no, sure. No problem. So we meet for lunch and, you know, we do some small talk and we talk about, you know, business or whatever. And then, then he starts dropping this stuff on me and I have no idea what to do with it. He's talking to me about like gray aliens and like the moon and like just, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking. (laughs) And so I don't know. It was just, it was really wild. And like what I couldn't understand was. So he starts telling me this whole thing about like different kinds of aliens and some of them are our friends and then some of them are enemies. And then he starts telling me something about how the, the, I don't know, like the aliens that are our enemies haven't invaded yet because I guess the secrecy is what protects us or something like that. Like, the last thing that they want is for all the humans on earth to be aware that they exist or something. And I'm like, this makes really no sense to me. I don't, I don't understand, but I don't know. I was sufficiently weirded out that I never like followed up. 
<laughs> but that was really kind of I love it. To me, it sounds a lot like angels. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, I was just kind of like, what is this there's some good ones, of, there's some bad like, ones, you know. <laughs> I'm like, where do you, ex- yeah, exactly. And there's so much, there seems to be so much overlap between angels, aliens, and uh the good neighbors that yeah. I'm not really sure who's who. And then that kind of goes back to my thinking. Yeah, they're and, like, kind of all in the I wild ask, hunt. Like, I don't even know if they'd know how to answer that question. Yeah, they're all in the wild hunt, too. Like, because they're all flying through the sky, like through the Milky Way. Like, it's kind of interesting. There's that, like, that connection. Yeah. Um, but I mean, but the, just, the you know, wild hunt is like a real thing, though. I mean, like, I've yeah. got stories about that, too. And it's, they're not good stories. Oh, um, I'm sure there's, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of, um, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, they're um the wild hunt came through my neighborhood one evening and I was just like everybody get inside and shut everything <laughs> now. <laughs> and um when we woke up, well, in the middle of the night I heard this loud wail. And I was just like, oh, no, this is not good. And the next morning, uh, we learned that um, a neighbor's five-year-old son had been taken. Damn. Yeah. And, I mean, I I guess this poor little kid had had the flu really bad. And, um, you know, it was really congested and, um, he actually has a twin brother who, who lived, who's fine, but yeah. That's like some textbook fairy stuff. For right? real. Yeah. That was, that was weird. Wow. Like I re- and it was so loud and I don't know if anybody else could hear it, but I was on the porch and all of a sudden the wind just came up so like just it was just whipping and like i could hear it it sounded like it sounded like hoofs and it was so loud and and something i don't know you know if i heard it or something but something told me the morrigan is coming and i'm like oh shit no, thank you. Nope. Close everything. Nobody's going outside <laughs> until daylight. And yeah, went and then what I realized that what I was hearing wailing was his mother when oh, she realized wow. that he had stopped breathing. Oh. Yeah. And it was just like, uh, this is awful. Cause yeah, like the next morning it was like, wait, why is the coroner's office here? What's happening? And yeah, it was awful, 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 awful. It's like, what do you even say to somebody? Yeah. I have no words. But um, yeah, so I'm very much like if I if I hear anything that even a little hint of wild hunt. Yeah. We are inside. <laughs> Close yeah. the doors. That's definitely not, the windows. Yeah, not something to get caught up in. Um, 
So have you, uh, I'm going to go back to the space stuff real quick. Have you ever read the, um, the accounts of the remote viewing of Mars from like, they remote viewed Mars, like the, the point that they were remote viewing was like Mars millions of years ago. I'll send you a link. Was this like when Ingo Swan was doing all the remote viewing? I don't think it's an Ingo Swan one, but I do think it's like a CIA one. I have like a transcript. Mm. Of, I have a blog with a transcript of it. I'll send to you because it's really interesting. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, it's really because, cool. Because um, so I remember, let's see, it was probably about two years ago. I read one of Ingo Swan's books. Um. And he he didn't talk too much about his like remote viewing stuff. And I remember reading something from somebody else who was kind of like quoting Ingo Swan about I guess they were supposed to be doing some remote viewing on the dark side of the moon or something. Yeah, and they, that's interesting. They got spotted and like I don't know, it was kind of unclear, like something something basically came at them or swatted them away or did something. Yeah. They were like, um, he talks about it in penetration. Um, they were like, what he describes is like, sounds like something doing rituals, like on the dark side of the moon. And then like a huge, something huge comes and like, yeah, like get, get out. (laughs) Yeah. They, they become, they get seen. Yeah, there's there's some really interesting stuff there. Well, yeah, I mean that's what's kind of tripping me out. Like so like I know absolutely zero about any of this stuff. Like all I know is two weeks ago, you know, because between seeing the, you know, the book recommendation thing and then hearing about, you know, the Death on Mars book where there's like, oh yeah, Mars straight up has like weapon signatures of yeah, like and that's what they saw when they remote viewed it was like Basically, like these um, beings inside these pyramids that were hiding because their atmosphere had been destroyed by like some kind of weapons and they were getting ready to like get the fuck out of there now. Wow. Yeah. That's like one of those things where it's like, it's really compelling to me. Like, well, and then the thing that I remember reading a, a book when I was in elementary school, I think it was called like space cat or something like that. And it was like this cat astronaut and he was like flying around all these planets. I mean, I don't know. It was like a children's book, but to like describe the planets to you. Yeah. And I remember being very compelled by some of the facts that they dropped on, on me about Venus also like basically that venus has, has like like an atmosphere that's like basically like 100 acid rain or something and that it, it's very like hot and i don't know that was kind of weird too i'm like wait how what yeah what the, venus about? has like a runaway greenhouse effect uh, or so they say right i don't know yeah that could easily be like and then it kind of yeah it kind of makes you wonder like is that bs or is that real or what's happening there but um yeah i don't know like 
reading this book by Hoagland is just like blowing my mind. Um, but you know, and I mean, going back to like, and you know, I'm, I'm reminded of, you know, this, this guy telling me all this stuff, like, and I'm like, wait, the only thing that's protecting us from alien invasions is like that they're a secret. What this sounds stupid. Like, what are you talking about? Um, that doesn't make, that still doesn't make any sense to me, but yeah. Um, but yeah, some of the things that that Richard Hoagland's talking about in this book is just straight wild. Um, he talked about the moon at first, and um, oh, what did I listen to recently? Um, I was listening to maybe it was an Eon Byte. Um, episode where um like and it was the first I heard it probably the first time like maybe a year or two ago where somebody was saying like somebody was telling me something about like the moon is really weird like the moon has obviously been artificially placed there and I'm like hmm? yeah I'm there's some really interesting stuff about that yeah and yeah, when and the so lunar like, lander hit it, it rang like a bell. That's what, yeah, I, I remember being told that too. And I was like, what? And so, um, then, um, yeah, the like it sounds like it's like hollow and metallic. And then, um, and then I was to tie this all well, so like. A couple of months ago, like my big trip was like, it was kind of funny that it kind of led up to like Graham Hancock getting that mini series on Netflix. Um, Because before that I had basically just binge read a bunch of stuff that he had written. I, I read um, like fingerprints of the gods and underworld. I threw supernatural in there too. Um, and then there was another book he wrote about kind of like the, the Masonic architecture of like Washington, D.C. But that one gets really, really involved because he's actually talking about the architecture of Paris and of London as well. Um, because like after the Great Fire in London, like they really um, redid this whole, you know, they just basically started from... Still- yeah. Um sorry. Right. <laughs> um, um they had like had to just basically like redesign the whole city because it had been just burnt to a crisp. And um so that got me kind of like then I started going down this other path because a big part of that is that he's talking about like the Masons and like related to like the Templars. And then, and then he has like a whole couple of chapters devoted to um, basically well, what's today Southern France um, where all these uh, where the Cathars lived. Yeah. And um, 
And then he talks about like the Albigensian crusade. And so like, there's one thing that I have a hard time kind of squaring is that, you know, they call him St. Dominic, but I think he's kind of, kind of not very saintly. And, um, and so here's St. Dominic, he's basically promised all this stuff. If he goes and, you know, obviously it's like free land and riches. If you go and put down these, you know, go slaughter these peaceful Gnostic people living in basically Southern France. Um, and I don't know why the blessed mother thinks that this is a person worthy of giving the rosary to, but that's, that's where we get the rosary from is from St. Dominic. Really? Yeah. And Mm. so like just the description of the Albigensian crusade, I just go, Oh, like this is horrible. It's awful. But like, and Graham's like kind of all over the place too. Like he's written a book on Mars also, and I haven't read that, but yeah, the whole reading about the Albigensian crusade then got me kind of like off on this more angels, more Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, the Book of Enoch, all this kind of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, in there, you know, I'm hearing about, you know, people mention, um, you know, Inga Swan trying to remote view the the moon and then getting kind of like knocked out of being able to see anything. Um, and then, um, and then I was talking to somebody else recently. Oh, I know what it was. So because of the whole Cathar country thing, that's when I started really getting into like Eon bite podcast and started like learning more about Gnostics. And so, um, then he recently had um, this woman astrologer on and she was talking also about how the moon is, is fake and it was placed there. And she was talking about how, um, I mean, it's an interesting theory. I haven't sat with it very long and I don't know what I really think about it, but she was talking about how um, like the moon being placed there has made changes on earth basically. So, yeah, you know, like it's now, a, helped terraform the earth possibly. Possibly because like, you know, it, it obviously affects people and it affects water. It affects, yeah. you know, the tides and things like that. And so she had a really interesting point. Um, or, you know, thought where she kind of was talking about how like every other animal on earth, like has like a heat or a rutting season, right? Like animals are not 24 seven fertile. Like they have like a mating season. Right. And so um, she was saying that like humans are the only animal that are 
basically like fertile, like 24 seven. And she's saying like, she was like the fact that women can get, you know, human women can get, um, you know, just pregnant over and over and over again at any time. She's like, well, that, that kind of I mean, apparently she's in on the, the Gnostic view or, you know, one of the many, there seems to be many, many Gnostic viewpoints, but she was kind of saying that like, that kind of makes sense. If you look at the world as being this arconically controlled um, slave colony. That, yeah. Like, they need the, they want, need the souls. Yeah. They want, they want you to basically just keep breeding all the time because that means, you know, more and more slaves, I guess. So, and I was, and I didn't know really what to think about that. And I was like, what do you mean the moon was placed there? So I was talking with a group of friends recently and then somebody else mentioned, um, I think it's Phobos is a moon. It's like a low orbit moon around Mars. And they said, yeah, there's something weird about that one too. They, that was probably put there. And I'm like, how come I've never heard about this stuff? <laughs> um, and then, um, oh, and then going back to Noah, that um, it was this totally mind-blowing thought that um, this friend of mine had said that in in Genesis, I think, when they talk about how Noah, Noah, the ark comes to rest, and then there's a bow in the sky, you know, that's supposed to be showing like God's promise that he'll never flood the earth again. And, and so this friend of mine was saying that like, well, what if the bow was not, you know, it's not, doesn't say a rainbow. It doesn't talk about the seven colors or anything like that. It just says bow. What if that was like the first crescent of the moon? And that was like an ancient memory of like what happened when the moon was placed here. Oh, interesting. Like, so can you imagine that like the arc is really like, like, um, like a, a getaway spaceship from Mars and we land and then like we place the moon there. And really what that bow is, is like the first crescent. That's wild. I like that. <laughs> no, that's going to leave me with some things to think about. Um, hell yeah. This has been great. Yeah, I mean, oh. Isn't that crazy? And yeah, so this is good. I just got into the chapter of, um, of dark mission where he's talking about like the monuments on Mars and like the face and yeah, like some pyramids and some other stuff. And yeah, there's definitely yeah that's pyramids. wild. And then so, something about crystal towers on the moon. I don't know. And just like, yeah, Ingo Swan saw towers too. Some kind of like, like craters rimmed by these towers. Mm. Um, there's some pretty good pictures in this book that look like um, it looks like glass domes over craters. 
and they're they're really um they don't you know they're not like lopsided or anything like that like you'd expect like if it was like a meteor strike to make yeah. a crater it's not like lopsided or or weirdly shaped they're like a perfect circle yeah and they're perfect see, like almost like a dome over them so yeah and then they were saying then they had another picture where i guess there was like all these like kind of crystalline or glass like structures like towers or something but i'm I'm not sure and then there's some other business in there about i guess um buzz aldrin was like a 32nd degree scottish right mason and he was up there doing um a ritual when oh, they yeah. first landed on the moon and interesting i don't know i guess like i guess sirius was rising oh and yeah so they did a they did a ritual before they actually stepped out of the capsule or yeah i don't know weird stuff <laughs> yeah that's really cool i'm gonna have to check out some of those books i love that stuff um we're coming to the end so real quick before we stop do you want to tell people like where they can find you, um, your Etsy shop, anything like that? Sure. Um, my Etsy shop is called Lulu Bells. Um, and I've got a, I've got a few things in there. <clears throat> um, mostly some spiritual oils. I, I think I have a couple of candles and, um, I'm trying to remember what I've got in my inventory. I, I sold quite a bit over Christmas. Um, and in fact, I'm going to do a big clearance sale in February. Um, but, um, and I've got some, um, like salves, like good for gardener salves, um, for cracked hands and cuticles and stuff. Um, let's see, find me. Um, I have a blog, it's called inspiringliberation.com. And, um, I'm trying to be better about writing there. It's just that everything's been happening so fast and furious that um, it's hard to keep up and keep writing. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Um, and uh, um, yeah, you can find me hanging around um, Rune Soup um, and a couple other of our favorite online guys like secret sun institute i'm there um cool. i'm also a patron patreon of um aeon bite and um and you'll find me on um ivy's um circle thrice as well very nice but okay. i'm not on social media yeah okay. <laughs> I gave that up years ago. that's that's good i mean yeah there's no point um <laughs> exactly yeah i value I like, my sanity yeah i like the the group thing is good for me like i like chats and stuff and forums and things like that that's yeah, all the social i need you know oh yeah but thank you so much for coming on i there's so much that we went to that like we could have unpacked like episodes and episodes on some of that <laughs> i love it it's my thank favorite you. this is uh, fun yeah thank you so much for coming on sure and, uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your yeah. sunday yeah, you too. Talk soon. All right. Bye. Bye.
Do you experience weird shit? Do your parents not like to tell their friends about what you do in the woods? Do you make more friends in a graveyard than you do at a party populated by living humans? Do you have interactions with beings that are not strictly considered human? Do other people look at you like you're crazy when you mention talking to trees in casual conversation? If you fist pumped or even just answered yes to any of these questions, you may be a nightbird. So let's sing together. If you'd like to come on the show and flap your gums with me, share your stories, or just talk about the malleable nature of reality for a while, then send me an email at tim at nightbirdpodcast.com. That's Tim at nightbirdpodcast.com. I'd love to have you on the show. But until then, I gotta fly. But before I go, let me say this. Remember, you are never alone. I believe you.